Welcome into the conversation. I am your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today I am joined by an award-winning author of a new book called Daughters of Smoke and Fire. That's Ava Huma. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, now Ava, I know in addition to being an author, you're an activist and a journalist. You have written uh, collections of short stories that are also award-winning or at least nominated. And you have now put out a new book uh, called Daughters of Smoke and Fire. Can you tell us what it's about? Um, thank you for that introduction. Daughters of Smoke and Fire is the story of a Kurdish Iranian woman. Her name is Layla. She dreams of becoming a filmmaker, but there are a lot of obstacles on her way, her gender, her ethnicity, and so much more. And one day her brother, Shia, takes part in a protest as they've been happening in Iran over the past decade and a half, and he disappears. Then he falls on Layla to be able to find out where he is, if he's alive and how to help him. In the meantime, that puts her life in danger as well. All right, and I know that protests are something very relevant right now, particularly in Iran, where there's this female evolution in terms of feminism and moving forward and making meaningful change. And so how do you feel that the story that you wrote resonates given the current environment that is going on right now? So what is happening in Iran today is really powerful because it's for the first time that a large group of Iranians from different walks of life, from different backgrounds have been united in saying no to the oppressive government. And the book is relevant because I didn't know this while I was writing it, but the book talks about morality police, about getting arrested, about what's it like to be a young girl and having being forced to wear the hijab. What's it like to belong to a group of people that have been targeted for genocide? What's it like to be so unknown and so oppressed and yet have all the desires, all the wish for a normal, joyful life that people around the world have? And I know you're an activist as well as a journalist and you come from Kurdish Iranian background. So is this something that you wrote about because you, you have that knowledge and experience directly? Absolutely, it's about my knowledge and experience, but it's, I also wanted to open a window to the life of Kurds in Iran, which is something that uh, a lot of people don't have access to. There hasn't been authentic representation of that, and so something has been missing. And when there is talks of Kurds, there's only talks of oppression. What I was trying to show that is our lives aren't defined by oppression, but instead by our ability to stand up. To oppression. I mean, look at what is happening in Iran today. Women started and led this revolution, but the resistance right now is at the heart of the Kurdish city. The crackdown is so much heavier, the suffering is so massive in that part of the world. Any Kurdish mother I've been talking to recently haven't been able to speak three sentences without sobbing. The mother of these young protesters are really living in terror as they hear gunshots day and night against this peaceful protester who are demanding democracy and justice. However, if you look at whether in, in English, especially in the Western media, if you look at Kurds in Iran today, as this heavy crackdown is happening, there are only a handful of reports. So unfortunately, it goes unreported. It goes unreported because the Western world, for the most part, does not understand who Kurds are and where they come from. But the world knows that it would be a better place without the repressive Iranian government. And that can be achieved by supporting Kurds, by not allowing this crackdown to 
kill every brave person who's on the streets today. We have seen videos of convoys of IRGC loaded with troops heading toward Kurdish cities. We People hear gunshots, there have been raiding of the homes, there have been hospitals not able to cure protesters. There have been reports of the blood that people donate to the hospitals being stolen by the government. So they allow the protesters to just bleed to that. But people are still resisting. And with them being in the forefront, it's really, really important that the world shows some support. Because the only thing that would stop a government like the Iranian government from committing a genocide would be international attention. Yes, and that definitely seems to be something that I've heard a lot about on social media in terms of keeping the messages going, ensuring that what is going on in Iran is something that is not, you know, it's not ignored, that it's not something that can be silenced or just move on to the next, you know, social justice issue that's going on in the world and in society. And so if you were in a position where you could reach people to connect with them, to let them know about the Kurdish people and the women, they who are fighting for change, what would you say to them? I would say that they have been fighting against an extremely repressive, brutal government. For in the case of the Kurds, since its very inception, since 1979. And if you believe that you want to live in a world where there are fewer and fewer dictators, then it's on you to be able to be their voice to raise your voice, to write to your representative, to make sure you include Kurdish art in your galleries, include Kurdish films in your film festivals, and understand who these people are and why they are so resilient. You know, in Kurdish, we have this saying of which means resistance is life. And it's not just thing that we just something that we say with words, it really a philosophy of life, right? And we have used that this is why we have been able to rise out of our own ashes time and again, and look at a world ravaged by division and pandemic and class gaps and all of that. Kurds actually have a lot to teach the world. We know how to be strong. We know how to keep going. We know how to keep our balance again and again in life, despite all the forces that have been working against us. Yeah, and it's 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 so it's beautiful to continue to have that um, that pursuit to have that resilience, but at the same time too, uh, as I think you've kind of touched on or at least hinted here, is that the Kurdish people have so much to give other than that. And unfortunately, in our Western society, at least the um, kind of the impression I've gotten is that it's a thought of Kurdish people constantly in struggle, or the thought that there's always war or conflict. And to embrace, as you said, the art, the work, the journalism, daughters of smoke and fire, what you were putting out there, and the beauty of that, that is so much more that the Western culture also needs to embrace and welcome. Absolutely, you said it all. I can't, I can't say it better than that. Thank you. Without a doubt, because it's just, it, it's disheartening uh, the thought that it gets lost in the messaging that is provided uh, here in the West. But at the same time, it's so incredibly important for people to continue to uplift the message about what's going on over there and the oppression that is going on. And so, in your, um, go ahead. I just wanted to say that one of the moments of awakening post pandemic was how 
illusory our borders are. So the sense of separation that we grew up in is really just nothing beyond a delusion. And going back to what Martin Luther King said all those years ago, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Um, people in the West need to understand that what happens to the Kurds is no longer only limited to them, that it is going to also indirectly affect them. So if they do want a better and fairer and more inclusive future for their children and for their descendants, they need to embrace and understand the role and the power and all the gifts that ethnic minorities have to offer, including the Kurds, and then create global policies that reflect everyone's humanity and not just a selected few. Yes, absolutely. That is something I can get behind and then some. And also, I would love to talk a little bit more in terms of your book, Daughters of Smoke and Fire. Um, how has the reception been so far? It's been remarkable. Um, I am really overwhelmed by all the support that I received, the reviews, the, uh, the awards that it's been nominated for, the award that it won. It won the Nautilus Book Award and it was nominated for the uh, William Sarayan International Prize. Um, it has been called one of the best books in one, at a lot of different venues, including the, um, the Wall Street Journal and other places. So I'm very grateful for all the love that I have received. That's wonderful and I know it is much deserved and that people out there need to go ahead and go out and buy Daughters of Smoke and Fire and learn and uplift the messaging and as well as in their social media and whether it's representatives continue to uplift the message of supporting the women and individuals there in Iran who are fighting for just justice, fighting for freedom fighting to be able to be able to live such that they are free of oppression. Is there anything else you would want to note or add that people should do? So what media has offered has been just a slice of life for what it's like to be in Iran and to be a woman and to be Kurdish and to be young. But if people would like a literary representation of what's on the news, then Daughter of Smoke and Fire would be one of the good choices out there to offer depth and offer new ones and offer what's missing from media for the most part. That's fantastic, yes, Daughters of Smoke and Fire. Definitely check it out, I'm sure it's available everywhere books are sold and you would be all the better for reading it. And I know we only have about a minute or so left. So I have to ask as someone who has won so many awards with her writing and your journalism as well, what's next for you? Well, I recently completed a second novel and my agent is trying to shop around. So hopefully I will be able to send that out into the world as well. That's another also untold story of Yazidis and the price that people pay when they're not known in the world and how by just getting to know each other, we get to change so much. It's another story of resilience, of not allowing obstacles to defeat you, but instead use them to be stronger and just to be more resourceful. You know, people look at pain and suffering and they, they all they wanna do is to not only avoid the suffering, but also stay away from people who are suffering. The truth is people who know grief deeply, they also have a depth of soul that is really rare and is very valuable in the world we live in. So do not be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and see what the rest of the world has to offer you because that's how we grow. That's how we become strong and that's how we understand our connection on a deeper level. Absolutely, thank you so much for joining us. That's Ava Huma, 
the author of Daughters of Smoke and Fire. Thank you so much for joining us, Ab. It was a pleasure, Adrian. Thank you. All right, so I've got more conversation for you. And as you know, I'm Adrian Lawrence. This time I am joined by authors and entrepreneurs, Shay and Shab Safar. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, so as I understand, you are the co-founders of Advanced E-Clinical Training and also happen to be proud supporters of the Center for Human Rights in Iran. All right, so how do we get here? Sure. So within the last 43 years, um, the women of Iran have faced violence, they've faced brutality and human rights violations. And they're demanding for democracy and change along with basic human rights. And so Shay and I decided to write this op-ed to stand in solidarity with the women of Iran um, to show international support and to raise up against oppression of any government um, and especially the government of Iran. Uh, the current government of Iran, the Islamic Republic regime. So, yes. And so, your experience and your ties to Iran, that's something that stems from your childhood, correct? Yes. So, Shay and I, we were born in Iran and we immigrated here to the US when we were just five years old. So, we definitely we had the pleasures of being to, of growing up here. However, um, just our mom has had direct um, ties. She's been affected by the morality police. So she, what's going on in Iran, she definitely feels um, direct relations to. So in a way it does impact us as well. Um, but like I said, we're here, we wanna show international support for the women of Iran and what's what's tragically have, have been going on due um, from the current regime. So, Yes, so we really would like to hone in on what's going on in Iran currently. The protests that we have been seeing are women-led protests with women's rights at the epicenter of these demonstrations. So in the past, we've seen uh, protests surrounding economic hardships, water shortages, and even rigged elections. However, these protests are very different. They were sparked by the death of Mahsa Amini, who was killed under the hands of the morality police due to her headdress being worn too loosely. It is not. It is really important to note that this is not a fight against religion, rather against a very oppressive and cruel system of government, the Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran. And it is a fight for liberty that transcends gender, class and religious divides. And a fight for basic human rights that these women and people are fighting for every single day um, in all 31 provinces of Iran, risking their lives every single day. So we're here to amplify their voices, make sure they're heard and really condemn it on a global scale and amplify, like I said, their voices. Yeah, and it seemed like before the midterms, this was something that we were talking about that they were pushing out on social media. It was definitely a lot of the press and the headlines. But of course, you know, it's the thought of the change in news cycle and now it's just on to another issue. But the revolt is still going on, isn't it? 
Yes. Yes, it's very much still ongoing. Um, these women are being faced with serious state security forces being killed at and shot. Um, they're risking their lives. They're risking being beaten, tortured, raped, put into solitary confinement. But we're seeing them show up every single day chanting Zan Zindagi Azadi. Women, life, freedom. Yes, and I would also like to add, we're now seeing massacres against the Kurdish, which are ethnic um, ethnic groups, so the Kurdish ethnic groups of the Western region of Iran. And there are being massacres just today, um, yesterday, against this group of people um, for just basic protests. Um, so again, weapons are being used against this group. Um, just yesterday. So ethnically, uh, the regime is targeting ethnic groups. So women, ethnic groups, ethnic religions. So th this is this is a you know a huge problem, and the women and the people of Iran are are demanding change, regime change specifically, and um, it's our it's our duty to show international support and continue to amplify their voices, like Shay just said. So. Yes, and we had just spoken with um, Kurdish Iranian uh, Abba Huma, and she had spoken uh, to the fact that the Kurdish people were being abused and mistreated there. And so it seems that they are being targeted specifically. And when it comes to people speaking out, uh, we know that recently at the World Cup 2022, that when they were playing uh, the Iranian uh, national anthem, that the players were not necessarily respecting the flag, so to speak, or how did they, how did it go down? But we did see the players uh, decide not to sing the national anthem. They were directly supporting the protesters, and that was a great way for them to show solidarity. Um, we were really happy to see that, and we're really seeing a global effort from the from the sports teams all the way to all over the world to showing great support and we really appreciate that. But we wanna continue the movement and continue the fight until women and people are free in Iran. Absolutely, and I also know from what you all had written in the op-ed, it said the fate of Iran will be determined by the fearless women, men and children who've been standing up to the regime for decades. And that's a really powerful thing because as you've noted, this started because a woman was unwilling to wear her hijab in a way that the morality police said they approved of, or at least that's what their, their complaint was. But it seemed to have ignited protests across all ages, all groups, um, genders. And that's not necessarily something we often see. What is your take on why this has galvanized so many people from different walks of life? Right, just as you said, we're seeing women, men, children, secular and religious Iranians really stand shoulder to shoulder. They're demanding change. They have been denied 43 years of basic human rights and they're like I said, demanding change, and you're seeing them stand side by side in support of one another. Of one another, it's a beautiful thing we're seeing, and people just want change. They're tired. They're tired of what's been going on, and they just want freedom to be who they want to be in their own right. Right. Shab, did you want to say something on this? Sure. Um, I would like to add that. The Iranian women have the highest literacy rates in the um, in the Middle East, and the grad um, the highest percentage of STEM graduates 
compared to the neighboring countries. And this shows how truly extraordinary Iranian women are. And if they were given the chance, the, they can truly soar to great heights within their own country. So um, as she stated, they are tired and you know, they're no longer fearful of this current regime, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and they want change and very much deserve change. And we're gonna continue to show international support and stand in solidarity with the women in Iran because we want to see them sort of the heights that they, you know, that they, their capabilities and they're tired of being, their capabilities being restricted for the last 43 years, unfortunately, by this oppressive regime. So. Absolutely, they should have the opportunities and the access. The things that you all, I would like to think, have had, uh, and speaking of STEM and co founding uh, advanced e clinical training, uh, can you tell us about your organization? Yes, yeah, so we are a healthcare education company. So we are bridging the gap that the, the healthcare education gap in terms of clinical education that a lot of undergraduate students are facing. So, and yes, as you stated, we have the we had the opportunity of building our company and helping um, students um, nationwide and internationally. And we believe that women in Iran could even do more than what we're doing. They're just so smart and so bright. So we want to see them do as we are doing here in America in a free country. So they are very much deserving and very much capable, capable of doing so. So thank you for asking. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, it really, uh, I find it to be extremely eye-opening uh, when it comes to, as you mentioned, the literacy rates, as well as uh, just it sounds like the educational investment and the professional acumen that is there is something that is being suppressed. Yet could truly be revolutionary if women are allowed to contribute to societies in ways in which they should be able to. Um, and I would like to argue that the efforts that you have put forward in founding your organization, Advanced E-Clinical Training, that, that is a reflection of that. Uh, and so being able to have those contributions truly elevate and uplift our society. And so I very much commend you for the work that you do and also for taking this very important stand. And so as you have the opportunity and the audience now to communicate to viewers, listeners and members of the public, what would you want them to know? Sure, absolutely. So I would love our viewers and everyone that's watching here tonight to know that we, the Iranian people want your international support. Unfortunately, they're their communication and their ability to talk to the, to the outside world is restricted. They're heavily censored. The government has shut down all communications. So what we can do is we can continue to join in on protests and demonstrations that are being held nationwide from New York City to Los Angeles. Um, you can follow accounts like Middle East Matters on Instagram to follow on the different protests that are going on. Um, you can and you can also contact your local con Congressman, and really show your support for the people of Iran and for the, these protests that are going on. And you know, we'd like to add that this Thursday, um, the the United Nations will be holding a special council on the human rights um, on, in Iran. And we, our message is clear: women, life, freedom. So, thank, thank you. you. Yes, that's fantastic. Thank you both 
so very much. I appreciate your work. I appreciate everything you're doing. And I hope people do reach out to their Congress people and also invest in whatever it is in terms of knowledge or uplifting their voice and using their social capital because we do need meaningful change in Iran without a doubt. Because again, people are revolutionary and if they are allowed to live their best life and to be free, there is a damn good chance that they are going to uplift our society and our world in toto. And so I really thank you both for joining us today. and. I would love for the viewers to know where they could find out more information about you or follow your work or get involved in the things that you do. Sure, definitely. Please follow us, Shay Safar on Instagram, Shab Safar. Thank you so much for having us and shedding a light on this important matter. Thank you. Thank you. Both. That's Shay and Shab Safar. Thanks.